This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. American Ballpark. It's the Better Off Red Podcast. Here's your host, Jamie Ramsey. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special spring training edition of the Better Off Red Podcast. The Reds are just about ready to lift the lid on their Cactus League season and begin a new era in franchise history. Although several familiar faces are gone, one has returned, and there are a whole bunch of new names in camp competing for a chance to play in Cincinnati. So, who will join Joey Votto, Anthony DiSclefani, and A. Eugenio Suarez at Great American Ballpark on opening day? To help us sort this out and sort out the Red Spring training roster and highlight notable storylines going into the 2017 season is longtime Reds writer and a dear friend of mine, John Fay. But before we get to John, single game tickets for the 2017 Reds regular season, excluding opening day, go on sale Saturday morning, February 25th at 9 a.m. And that's not all. The Reds have announced three post-game concerts for 2017, including Kaleo on Friday, May 5th, Flo Rida on f- Friday, August 4th, and the Avit Brothers on Saturday, August 26th. Keep these dates in mind when you go to buy your single-game tickets on February 25th at 9 a.m. All three concerts are free to fans with tickets for those scheduled games. This is absolutely my most favorite time of the year. Football is over, the birds are chirping, and the sun is shining just a little bit warmer out there. Spring is all about hope and new beginnings, but most importantly, it's a harbinger for Reds baseball. The pieces are falling into place and a new era of Cincinnati baseball is upon us. The Reds continue to nurture and develop a large group of young players, players who are expected to grow into bona fide major league contributors. Some would say the worst of the growing pains is over, and rewards will start to be reaped in 2017. Our guest today will help give you an idea of what to expect and what to look for from the Cincinnati Reds as they begin their spring training schedule. Ladies and gentlemen, this is John Fay. I'm joined by my good friend, John Fay. John, how's it going? It's going well. I got to offer you congratulations on the twin girls. Uh, your life has been turned upside down, my friend. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of already has, but um, yeah, it's. I appreciate that. It's uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, John, how's Goodyear, Arizona, treating you? It's been great. Uh, beautiful day today. Sunny, you know, mid seventies. We had we had rare rain over the weekend, but um, you know, it's getting to the point where people are ready to play games. Uh, you know, spring training is so long anyway. I think it's. Already the players are getting a little anxious to get we, – we had some live BP today, uh, first of the two days – or second of the two days of that. So, yeah, it's just – it's kind of a process, and it's even longer this year with the World Baseball Classic. Sure. 
Yeah, we're recording this on Tuesday, February 21st. And uh, today, John Fay from WCPO.com. Also, uh, you've seen him stuff in the Cincinnati Enquirer. Longtime Reds writer. He wrote something today about Bronson Arroyo and his impact on the the young pitchers in Reds camp, specifically on how to manage their money. John, that was an interesting piece, and I got to give you credit for that one. That was fun to read. Yeah, you know, Bronson's such an interesting guy, and actually, he did something with Trent uh, Rose Grams and and Zachy Buchanan. It was a um, a uh, Facebook Live or whatever the kids call it these days, you know. <laughs> And he had his flip phone out, and you know he's mentioning that that kind of reminds him of where he came from, and and, and uh, you know I think he he knows these guys lose sight of that. They're, they make so much money at such a young age that he he tells them, be careful with your money, think about it, simplify your life, and don't worry about buying everything you can—the jewelry, the cars, and all that—because he he said he knows guys that made $50 million in the game that have no money now. So I think these guys really have to be careful with it. And it, it, it's something you think about, anybody thinks about when they were 23, 24 years old, the least these guys make if they make it to the majors is $535,000 a year, which is a ton of money. Don't get me wrong, but it's not going to last your lifetime if you, um, if you, go spend extravagantly on stuff that you really don't need. So I, you know, Bronson has advice for these guys on many different levels. I just, I thought from the beginning, it was a great thing to bring him back. And, uh, not only from what he can teach these guys about pitching and, uh, just life in general. Yeah. And he's also a great quote for you guys. He's the best quote ever. I, people always say when we, the first time we talked to him, we came back to the press room and said, you know, I said, he's the best. And I said, people say that about people all the time. But Bronson, in my 20 years of covering the Reds, and I even back farther than that, it, he, he's the best quote I've ever had. Uh, he's just, he's introspective, he's cerebral, he knows the game, and he's not afraid to say something controversial, which is exactly what we want. And he's always available. Uh, the TV guys, after he showed up they said well when can we get you and he's like now (laughs) that's just the way he is and he's he's just a great guy he's an interesting guy he uh, has an interesting life outside of baseball and uh and just a always a delight to deal with i saw that he threw a live batting practice session today i know he wasn't really up there trying to get guys out he's just trying to uh, i think he was up there to to throw about 40 fastballs. Did you happen to see this live batting practice session? Yeah, and he he did he didn't get hit as bad as I thought he would. He was facing um Aquino, mm-hmm. uh Brandon Dixon and Gabriel Guerrera. And I watched these guys yesterday face some other guys, uh Amir Garrett and and some of the other young pitchers. And these guys got into some balls. Uh, I think probably a couple went out against Bronson. But what, what he's trying to do right now is build some stamina, get out there. He says when you're facing live uh, hitters, you're, you extend a little more, you throw a little harder, and that's the first test. And then in a game, you, you go even – there's more adrenaline. And, and all that adrenaline and, and trying to uh, execute pitches puts more stress on your arm. And that's what he's got to test. He's 40 years old. He's coming off of two surgeries. and has basically spent two years 
rehabbing. So uh, he's, he's taking it step by step. And because he's trying to make the team, he wasn't going to go out there and try to trick these guys. If, if he wanted to, he could with his um, array of pitches. But he's, you know, he, he's trying to keep his his routine as normal as it, it would be if as he did in the you know the ten years or twelve years in the big leagues that he had the team made. So it was it was a, another first test, and he, he passed it. John, does he have a realistic chance of making this team? I think so. I don't think he's thrown as hard as uh, he'd like, and he's not throwing as as hard as people normally do in the major leagues. But I, I just wouldn't doubt Brownson. He he got by on less than just about anybody I've ever known. And you know, before he got hurt in Arizona, before he shut it down, he was seven and four with an ERA a little over four. And he was pitching with an almost completely complete tear of his uh, his tendon and his elbow. So right. the guy figures out ways to get by, and he's he's just so smart. So I, I you know, the number I put on if he can throw eighty four miles an hour, I think he can get guys in the major leagues out. Is is odd as that sounds. I think <laughs> with with the arsenal he has and so many pitches, and he drops down and uh, comes at him from different angles. I, I think he will. But uh, the, and he'll tell you the big test is after he goes out and he throws an inning and then has to sit down and come back and throw another inning, mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of stress. And he, he he he's very honest. He does not know if his arm and shoulder and elbow can, can take the torque of that. So that, that'll be the test when he gets into games and, and goes multiple innings. From what I've read recently in, his, uh, in, in the Reds' clips, he seems as if um... – He's kind of, I don't want to say resigned to the fact of coming uh, out of the out of the bullpen, but does it seem like that to you? Does he anticipate uh, being a uh, a reliever, or does he still hold on to the hope of uh, of of starting? I think he plans on starting. I, okay, he's a confident guy. I think he believes if he's healthy, he can get major league hitters out. And he believes that he can throw 200 innings, mm-hmm. and, and you have to believe that. But he, at this point, he has to prove it. Uh, before the injuries, you could just count on it. Now he has to prove it. And and I wouldn't be surprised if if he didn't make the team or uh, they asked him to go to the bullpen if he said, eh, you know, I'm going to just shut it down instead. The thing about bullpen guys, generally they throw very hard, and that's just the way it goes. If he was in the bullpen, it would be in a, a strictly mop-up role, and mm-hmm. he'd have to decide whether he wanted that. And I guess he could do that for a while and, and see if something opened up in the rotation if one of the guys that beat him out failed. But you also have the prospect of Homer Bailey coming back in June. So um, I, I, and he hasn't told me this, or I, he hasn't said this, but I, I'd be surprised if he uh, – pitched out of the bullpen I think he I think he's set on starting well Bronson is one of the guys that the Reds have brought back um, however uh, it's got to be a little different this year in good year especially the Reds clubhouse without the likes of Jay Bruce and Brandon Phillips to name a few uh, have you noticed any um, uh, any obvious um, changes John not the clubhouse in in spring train is a little deceiving because you have 63 guys in it, uh, probably 25 of whom have no chance of making the team. They're minor leaguers that are just getting their first taste of the big league camp. But the one thing I have noticed, I think Billy Hamilton's coming. Not that he was ever in a shell 
but he seems to be a little more outgoing and interacting a little more. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a fun guy. He, he likes to, uh, you know, needle guys a little bit, uh, pick on guys, get beat up a little bit. You know, Jonathan Broxton put him in a, in a garbage <laughs> can a couple of years ago. So, you know, I, I saw you yesterday. He was, he was messing with Devin Mesoraco a little bit and then put on his jersey and said, man, he's, these jerseys are tight. <laughs> so he's, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of emerges a little bit. Um, if you look in terms of experience, he's pretty far up here yeah, on this club. Absolutely. Uh, you, know, you got Votto and, and Homer Bailey and uh, Zach Cozart and then him. And in terms of tenure, I think uh, Tony Singrani is about the same as him. And, and you know, they, they brought in a few veterans, uh, Scott Feldman and, Drew Storen, and those guys seem to keep to themselves pretty much. I think, again, I think the the personality clubhouse plays out a little more when you get down to those 25 guys who are going to be on the big league club when the season starts. I was looking at something today, John, and I don't know if you saw that I tweeted this or not. I don't know. Do you follow me on Twitter, John? I do follow you on Twitter. Um, But I'm not on Twitter all the time anymore, but Go ahead with. Uh, I just I basically post a lot of cat pictures and stuff like that, but I do occasionally uh, uh, post some red stuff. And I I saw that twenty five of the thirty six pitchers that are currently in big league camp with the Reds in twenty seventeen never threw a pitch for the big league club in twenty sixteen. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I was uh, talking to Mac Jenkins today, the pitching coach, and about some stuff about uh analytical analysis and you know i saw him talking to one of the 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 analysts and i I kind of asked him a little bit about that he says he has to find out about these guys because he hasn't seen them he has Mm -hmm. to find out what their uh strengths are and and what what they're supposed to be doing to get some sort of baseline so once the game starts he will know if they're up to what they were last year wherever they pitch so yeah, it's 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 a get, getting acquainted process. Now, of those twenty five guys that didn't throw for the big league team last year, very few of them have a chance to make this year's team. But at the same time, I, I think there's a, they have pretty good depth of, of young arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and frankly, when I walked in the first time to the clubhouse, I'm like, who are these guys? Because there are so many new faces. But uh, you know, I think I think they have a have a pretty good array of arms. I think it'll basically come down as it always does with starting pitching. If they can find until Homer gets back, if they can find two guys to to be pretty good in those fourth and fifth spots, I think they have a chance to play around 500 and, and see what happens. Well, like I said earlier, it's February 21st, um, but we're going to talk a little bit about how this roster could possibly shape up. The list I'm looking at now, John, is if uh, if the Reds carry 12 pitchers, uh, 11 of them are probably guys that you would would think that would be on the team from the get-go, which means you probably have one or two guys, um, probably either a non-roster guy or a minor league, uh, a guy who's been in the minor leagues in the past, trying to make this team. Um, you think if Arroyo throws 84 miles per hour, he's on this team. Um, do you see any other surprises that could possibly emerge from this group? I think it's it's too early to say on that. They have to get in games. I think the big question is, you have Robert Stevenson, 
Cody Reed and Amir Garrett. They're they're the favorites for those two positions, probably even over Arroyo because they throw hard. They're system guys. As much as uh, Reed and Stevenson struggled last year, the team's not down on them. They're going to give them another chance. But say two of those guys don't make the team, do the Reds put them in the bullpen to take advantage of their good arms and to try to get them to get acquainted with the big leagues, have some success in the big leagues with, with the eye on moving them toward, into the bullpen later. So I think, I think that's the big question. Um, and, and, and they have. They've brought in a ton of arms. They have the young Cuban kid, Vladimir Gutierrez. Yep. Sounds like he's going to go to the minors to start. Uh, and there's just a bunch of guys like that. And I, I think they have a chance. But at this point in camp, when they, they've done nothing but, you know, most guys had one session of uh, live batting practice. I think it's, it's too early to tell. But I, I think the big question is what they do with the, the top prospects that don't make the rotation if they send them to Louisville or if they, they use them in the bullpen. How important do you think the spring is for guys like Robert Stevenson and Cody Reed, who this time last year, folks were clamoring to get them on the team and then what a difference a year makes. They they get humbled a little bit at the major league level and now they're kind of, uh, I don't want to say afterthoughts, but uh, the, the, the word around the campfire isn't so dominant about these guys anymore. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it, it, it's a big spring, but more so it's a big year. These guys, they had their first major failures in their careers probably uh, of an extended period of time. Uh, to extend, it's a little generous. Uh, Reed had a, a fair amount of starts, uh, more so than Stevenson. But it's how they bounce back from that. And, and Brian Price has been very clear when we talk to him about what makes pitchers successful. He says competitiveness and confidence. And when you get beat around a little bit like Reed did last year and Stevenson, it, it, it shakes you. So I think how they come back from that is, uh, is very important. And I think a lot of people, if you look at the prospects list, they have a Garrett above them or, or very close with them. So he hasn't had that big league experience yet, but he's a very intriguing guy because he, he spent that time with, with uh, playing basketball as well. He's very athletic. He's a big guy, and I think I think they're going to give him a hard look. And it's uh, I think those are the three most interesting guys in camp probably on what, what happens with them because uh, – Obviously, the Reds are going to need some, some at least one, and probably, possibly two guys to fill in in the rotation. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. If you see um, a chance for all three of these guys to be in the rotation, or do you think the Reds would take a step back from that? To uh, uh, you know, I don't know if the, if their if their policy maybe would be to have two of the three or one of the three, or or I guess maybe all three if it's if they're pitching well. I would really be surprised if it was all three. I, by signing Scott Feldman, they pretty much uh, they didn't guarantee him a role, but that's what that's what they have in mind for him. I think he's a 34 year old guy who's pitched quite a bit in the big league, so I think they trust him more than than them to get uh, through the innings. I, I, I would really be surprised if they had three young guys in there. I think. Anthony DiScafani is going to be in there. Brandon Finney is going to be in there. And Brian Price has been pretty clear that, that Scott Feldman would be in there, at least in the beginning. Now, things could change as it goes on. 
with these guys, I think it's important that if they don't make the team, they go down there and have more success at AAA, or if they do make the team in relief, that they show that they still have the potential to start and they can get guys out. Um, but I, I would really be surprised if all three of them made the team in the rotation. Now, if, say, Reed and um, and Stevenson make the team in the rotation, I could see Garrett pitching in relief uh, to give him another left-hander out of the bullpen and a guy who could, you know, theoretically, if they stretch him out, he could be uh, an in-between guy where he's uh, he kind of bridges a gap between uh, starter and and the back end of the bullpen. But um, yeah, it's one of the interesting things to see how the how it plays out for these guys. Yeah, regardless, you're going to need some guys more than just that group to uh, accumulate innings. Uh, I think these guys are still young; they still don't have the the amount of innings in the minor leagues on their arms that could, you know, throw 200 innings this year. And as we all know, the amount of innings that the team has to account for is, is staggering for a, a young staff. So I think people still, I think Reds fans still need to be patient with this process and, and uh, get as many innings out of everybody they can. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, Last year, the story was how bad the bullpen was, but the bullpen, part of it is it's pretty easy to cover when you have to cover two innings a night, and you can count on your starters to go at least a couple of them to go seven innings every time out, like the Reds could count on with uh, Johnny Cueto and Mike Leake. When, when you remove those guys from the equation, you had four and sometimes even three inning starts. That extremely taxes the bullpen. Everyone in the bullpen is going to have to pitch that night. And then it becomes not who is the best for the situation, it's who's available. And I, the Reds got into that in the worst way at the beginning of the year, and it, it really showed. Uh, and obviously, the bullpen was very bad, but had they had a Johnny Cueto in there, who at least you could count on one day a week or one out of five days, you're going to have seven or eight innings, and it pretty much gives the bullpen a night off. They didn't have that, and I think it really caught up with them. Um, with all the injuries to the starting rotation and just uh, just no reliable starters. So um, I think if they can avoid that with the way the bullpen sets up, it could be much better than last year. But if you're counting on the bullpen to throw four innings every night, it, it gets ugly quick. And speaking of the bullpen, Brian, has, Brian Price has uh, recently talked about the roles of the guys and how it could change this year and taking on a new direction with the bullpen as far as closing out games uh he's on record with you guys with the writers as saying that he could have up to four quote-unquote closers uh at any given time so um what are your thoughts on that where do you think that's coming from and is it because of the recent success of teams like the indians in the postseason where they've uh, went to their best pitcher in the seventh inning or uh is it something that he's doing to perhaps maybe save the bullpen a little bit as far as wear and tear goes yeah, I, I, he mixed a little bit of that in the last third of the season when Michael Lorenzen and Rossell Iglesias got healthy. I, I, I wonder, and I wrote about today or the other day, that I think Drew Storen has that record. He, he was an established closer. And a lot of times you go into the, the season with this plan, but if, if Storen pitches the ninth a couple of times the first week and it's successful – any manager is going to tend to think, well, I've got him. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have him close. 
Brian's kind of resisted that where he, he used that rotation and not frankly, very few managers do it anymore. Um, and, but if you have guys pitch more than one inning, they really can't be their traditional closer. They're not going to be able to be up. And if, uh, Iglesias pitches two and a third to get a save on, on Monday, he's not going to be ready on Tuesday to come back and pitch. So, you, you would have to mix, mix and match, and it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I think Brian goes into this with this plan, but again, if, if one of these guys emerges where he's the best guy, he's the, the guy in the ninth, when you have a one-run lead that you want to go to, um, I, I think there's a chance someone could win the job. But it'll be one of the, that'll be one of the interesting things that plays out is when the season starts. Um, but they do have four really good arms down there with uh, – Tony Singrani, who had 17 saves last year, and, and at times has just been outstanding. He he was a little inconsistent last year, but uh, Iglesias is a four pitch pitcher with you know a plus uh, velocity, and Lorenzen gets up around you know, 99 miles an hour, and, and Storen's a guy who's saved 43 games and was as recently as 2015 was really good. It, he had 29 out of 30 saves for the Nationals until they brought in Jonathan Papelbon, and for whatever reason, that really affected him, and he's been struggling a bit since. But this is a guy who's 29 years old that has been a very effective closer in the past. So it's, it's a pretty good mix down there. It's just it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, and I also think a guy whose name gets lost in the mix here when you talk about Iglesias and Storin and Lorenzen and and those guys is uh, a guy named Blake Wood, who had a uh, pretty decent year last year for the team, all things considered, and was kind of a the lone bright spot in what was an otherwise um, uh, lackluster bullpen. Yeah, I think he's he's one of the guys that Brian's counting on. Uh, Jumbo Diaz is still down there too. Who, it, he started off pretty bad, but he ended up with a ERA of a little over three. So they have some pieces. It'll just be interesting to see how it, it plays out and who fills those last couple of roles. I, I I think because they have enough of a set that they, I think they, they may make good on that promise. And whoever doesn't make it out of Stevenson, Reed and Garrett combo that, um, or trio that the other ones may, may end up in the bullpen um, is, is a way to kind of break them in a little bit in the major leagues with an eye that they'll start in the future. Where would that leave a guy like Tim Adelman? I, I I don't know. I think he's the fallback plan. Um, he had 13 pretty good starts for the Reds last year. Not great. I think the ERA is around four. But I, I think if, if they look at these three young guys and say, hey, they're not ready, it might go to that plan. But uh, I think there's a good chance that Tim Adelman starts the year in AAA. He's, you know, he's got options. They can send him there, and it's kind of a fallback plan. But Again, you know, no one's thrown a ball in a game yet, so perhaps, uh, you know, he, he shows them and, and they change that plan. But I, I think right now they're, they're hoping that these young guys um, kind of grab the positions. Last year the Reds were one of four teams without a pinch hit home run. Uh, they had a two seventy seven slugging percentage from that position from 2014 through last year, 2016. Their OPS of 682 as a pinch hitter uh, was last in the National League. They just went out recently and picked up a guy named Ryan Rayburn 
and another guy named Desmond Jennings. Uh, do you think both of these guys um, uh, will bring some uh, value off the bench for this team? Yeah, I think uh, I think they brought those guys in to make the team as bench players because young players generally are not equipped to play off the bench. Uh, they're coming from the, the minor leagues where they've played every day, and pinch hitting is one of the most difficult things in baseball. The Reds fans got spoiled a little bit when they had Chris Heisey, who really was gave you what you wanted off the bench as a pinch hitter, a guy who can come in and hit a home run. I think Rayburn's that guy uh, – Jennings hasn't shown as much power. Um, Rayburn's had some up and down numbers, but uh, year to year, but he really hits left-handed pitching well. So I, I think they by by waiting and signing these guys to minor league contracts that are club favorable, I think they did themselves well to supplement that bench because you just can't run out young, just all young players, uh, and it. it it sometimes hurts their development to, to do that with them. So I, I think they, they brought those guys in um, both with the idea of making the team, and I think they probably will unless they see something in spring training that they don't like about them. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the bench. If uh, Devin Mezzarocco's healthy, Tucker Barnhart will be his backup. That leaves four spots. Assuming that maybe Rayburn and Jennings make the team, you have two more spots. Um, is Arzmendi Alcantara a uh, an option for this club, and what do, what do you know about him? I, I really don't know a whole lot about him. Um, I, I, they liked him. He wasn't great with the Cubs last year. Uh, he's a guy that gives you a lot of versatility. I think Tony Renda came up last year and after the trade. I believe they got him in trade. Played pretty well. It's... Uh, and, and then you're talking about, you know, maybe the 25th man. The thing that they're going to need someone to play in the infield. Um, because although Rayburn's played some outfield in his, or some infield in his past, quite a bit at second base, Brian sees him as a corner outfielder. Jennings is also an outfielder. So, you know, that, that has a, its way of playing out. Um, with the kid who came up from, uh, or not, he's not a kid, he's 34 years old, who came up from, uh, uh, Louisville last year. Oh, Ira Barron. The bat- yeah, the batting title. I think he has a good chance. Um, He's a non-roster he did well when guy. He, yeah, when he came up. So, yeah, they're, they're going to they're gonna have to sort some things out. And it, it's always funny in spring training, you make such a big deal about the last guy that makes the roster <laughs> <laughs> and the season starts and he doesn't play for two weeks. But um, I, I think they help themselves by signing Rayburn and Jennings and uh, – I, I would I would think Rendo probably make it and Alcantana's probably Alcantara. Uh, I think because he of his versatility, he's probably the guy too. If I had a guess at this point. So so, so what you're saying ba- based on that, you're saying that Dilson Herrera starts the year in Louisville. I I think so. I don't think they they want him to sit on the bench and play every five days, which which is what – the thing about him is he's so limited, he can only play second base pretty much. They're going to work him a little bit out at third, but if, you know, the only way they could get him in the lineup then is to sit Peraza, Jose Peraza, which they don't want to do or have Peraza play somewhere else, either short or in 
maybe spelling Billy Hamilton in the outfield. And I just don't think that's the way to go. Um, but, you, you know, things can change. And, and the other thing in this equation is there's a chance Devin Mezzarocco starts the year healthy, but he's going to be limited in his playing time. And mm-hmm. they have um, Stuart Turner, the, the Rule 5 kid from, right. from Minnesota. So I think if, if depending on how limited Mezzarocco is, they may be um, inclined to go with a third catcher for at least a little while. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, you know, we got a lot of games for it to play out mm-hmm. over, but there's, there's quite a few moving pieces in that whole equation. And we touched upon it. Devin Mezzarocco, what's the latest on that front? Well, he's been, uh, he's been catching one bullpen a day. Other guys catch more. Because spring training with the World Basketball Classic is longer, they're, they're bringing him along slowly. They're not going to push it. I, I think best-case scenario, he starts the year healthy and catches half or maybe just a hair more than half of the games. I, I don't think you're going to see him out there for four or five days, which is what you would see him if he was healthy. So, um, you know, he's coming off a of shoulder surgery and hip surgery. Uh, he's been able to do everything. He says he's, he's getting there, but he has to build stamina. This guy really hasn't played in two years. So, uh, I, I think they're going to err on the side of caution. And, uh, uh the, the, the good thing in, for the Reds is Tucker Barnhart really, showed a lot last year um he was always known as a a good catch and throw guy but he hit more than people expected last year and he showed himself to be a a decent offensive player i think he he's way above average as a backup catcher and if if they have to put him in to play the majority of the time they they did last year and he acquitted himself well so um it's still a question and that's that's why they got stewart to add a little depth and as you know, with a Rule Five guy, they keep got to keep him on the uh, on the roster all year in order to, or offering back to the Twins. So that, that'll be a decision that was made, I think, largely based on Mazzarocco's health. How much of a of a how much of a leash does Scott Shebler have in right field this year with Jesse Winker um, nipping at his heels? Well, I think it depends on two things, what Shebler does and what Winker does. Brian was talking the other day about when they made the Jake Bruce trade, if, if Shebler been, had been hitting 242 in AAA, and they might not have thought, well, we got to bring this guy up. But he was hitting 300. He went down. He had a very solid year after they sent him down. Um, in fact, I wrote about him today. I think he got sent down on May 5th. He was hitting 175. He went down, played 75 games there, hit 300. And came up and was very good after mm-hmm. the Jay Bruce trade. Um, hit 298 home runs, 44 RBI over uh, 55 games, if, if I'm right on the numbers. Um, he's athletic, uh, and I think they can live with him. He, he proved enough the second half that he, he should get the, the nod to start this year. But Winker has long been the top hitting prospect. He's kind of fallen off a little bit there. Um, because he didn't share the power numbers last year, but I think that had something to do with his health. Um, so I, I think he gets a. I think he has, to answer your question, he gets a pretty long leash, but it's not an incident leash, obviously. Have you spoken to Joey yet this this spring? I have. Um, well, actually, he came in and he did the uh, 
kind of the group thing with the TVs and everything. And Joey's always interesting. Uh, he's always, uh, he admitted that two years ago he was kind of burnt out from rehabbing and working out and everything. And this year he got more back into his normal routine uh, as far as uh, preseason preparation. He was not happy with his defense last year, so he worked on that. Uh, I think he'll hit. I think he'll be one of the best hitters in the National League. Uh, you really don't have to worry about Joey. He's uh, He had one of the most incredible second half, maybe the best ha- second half in Reds history last year. I think he realizes he has to do a little better early. Um, he didn't have a great start two years ago either, so I think that's something he's worked on, and I'd be surprised if he struggled like he did last year early. Well, with the with the recent trade of Brandon Phillips to Atlanta, this opens up the uh, the era of Jose Peraza at second base. Uh, what do you see in this kid? Um, you know, he pretty much opened a lot of eyes and established himself, I think, for the first time as a bona fide major leaguer last year. Uh, is the sky the limit for this young man? Yeah, I, I I think if you really look at it, he's a lot like Brandon Phillips was when was when the Reds got him. He's a very he's a came up as a shortstop. Um, also, can you know making the move to second base? He's very athletic, very fast. Um, not not a huge on base percentage guy, but can put the ball in play and hit for an average. So, I, I think it's you know, Brian wouldn't commit to the lineup, but I think it's a, a very interesting concept of having Peraza and Billy Hamilton at the top of the lineup because you just have two guys with incredible speed hitting against hitting in front of a guy who hits for one of the best averages in, in baseball and uh, is just really a hard out who sees a lot of pitches it would give him an opportunity to run. I, I think the kid... I think the question on him is whether he develops much power. He he didn't have much power before the Reds got him, and he showed a little bit after he played last year. He, he he's a he's not a slight guy. He's pretty. I think he's about six foot tall, and he's he's pretty uh, well put together. So I, I think if the power comes with the way he's able to put the bat on the ball, he can be a very good middle infielder. The, the question is whether he's at second base permanently, or they move him over to shortstop. If if they should move. Uh, that Cozart or uh, just down the line because this is probably Cozart's last year if, if, he, if he makes it through it um, before the Reds move him. So it's, it's a lot of questions about where he plays, but the kid's going to play in the majors. We've been, we've been in the uh, Dick Williams regime for a little while now. Uh, is, has there been any things uh, that have stood out for you as far as since Dick has taken over? And uh, what do you think, what do you, what can you, explain to the fans maybe um, what they should expect uh, differently uh, from Dick than, than Walt. But I think the, the major thing is Dick is taking the team more into the modern era. Not that that's a knock on Walt at all, but Dick is much more of an analytics guy. Um, I did a story sometime last week on the sports side that, science aspect where they brought in Charles Lendon, who's the director of sports science initiatives. And they're looking at everything, um, nutrition, uh, rest, uh, sleep because of the travel and just uh, biomechanics. This guy has a PhD. And I, I think with Dick, he's trying to be proactive. He's trying to take the next step, trying to get the, the team ahead on that account. Um, 
and I, I think Dick is better at articulating the plan than, than maybe Walt was. Uh, Walt was always willing to call you back and, and talk, but he didn't reveal a lot about the team. Um, and I think Dick has been really good at explaining what they're doing. And it, the, the, the thing with any manager as well as a general manager, it comes down to how successful you are. And they've laid out a plan. They filled pretty much every position around with mostly youth. Um, Joey Votto, who has a long-term contract, is going to be here. But the rest of them, Zach Cozart has one more year, and then one of these young guys is going to be in there. But they've gotten the players, I think, the base to go forward with the uh, with the rebuild. I, the pitching, the young pitching, still has to develop. But that'll be that'll be what Dick Williams and what Walt Jockerty and what every general manager ever was judged by. Can you put together a championship caliber team and can you win? And uh, I've, he obviously comes from the background where his family's involved in ownership. Uh, I talked to Dick a little bit about it today. You know, he's been around the Reds for his whole life. Uh, his uh, his family was the, one of the primary owners in with the '75 and '76 team. Uh, Dick's too young to remember that, but. Uh, and he decided he wanted to work in the industry when the Castellinis and, and his his father and his uh, uncle kind of bought into the team. And he, he didn't take a high-level position at the beginning, but he spent 10 years learning the craft, first for worked for Wayne Crispy and then, then Walt. And um, I think he's learned the game, and, and, and we'll see. I think he had a lot of ideas, and he, he's put them into practice, mostly with moving the team along kind of into the – the analytic and sports science area, that's going to be the big change. Uh, I think they're, they're using that more than, than they even were last spring. Before I let you go, John, do you have uh, a couple, maybe two or three key storylines for this team going into the 2017 season? Well, I think number one, and we've talked about a lot, I, I think this team, the, the offense was ace in the National League last year. If you're, if you're eighth, you're middle of the pack. That's good enough to be around 500. The bullpen was horrible. They addressed the bullpen. This, I think it comes down to the starting pitching. The starting pitching has to be better. They have to have some guys. Brian Price was very clear. They need some what he called step-up guys, whether it's Robert Stevenson or Cody Reed or uh, Amir Garrett or someone else, Rookie Davis, Sal Morano. They need someone to come up and surprise everyone and make this rotation better. Or Bronson Arroyo has to find the fountain of youth and <laughs> go back to being a 200-inning guy. And I, I, I don't discount that at all. I think the other thing is what happens with Devin Mesoraco. I think they can live with the, uh, Tucker Barnhart. He was very decent last year. But Mesoraco can be a middle-of-the-order bat. Um, and if they can get that, that makes the offense a lot better. And then, then the bullpen. They're trying this this new thing. Uh, I give Brian Price credit for thinking outside the box a little bit, and it could work great. But you're, you're trying something that hasn't worked or hasn't been used before, and you're, you're you having – you're using guys in roles that they haven't been using before. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. If it, it, it could play out and be great. I, 
I think the one thing we can all say is the bullpen's going to be better than it was last year because it's almost impossible to be worse. <laughs> so, you know, I think uh, Lorenzen and Iglesias, who missed a lot of time last year, have to be healthy. I think if those two are healthy, I think it'll fall in around them. I think Storen has a chance to be have a bounce back here. He probably had the worst year of his career last year, but he, he uh, finished it up pretty strong, and he's a, he's a smart guy. He's a veteran, so I help, he helps him down there. Um, and you know Tony Singrani, uh, he had he had parts of last year where he really looked good. I think he he needs to throw strikes more consistently. And, and then if you have those four guys in the back of the bullpen, I, I think that's good enough. I think the offense will probably be good enough, and it will come down to the pitching, the starting pitching, which it always does. And I, I mentioned Homer Bailey at some point, but they need him to come back and, and do something. Um, you know, he's the veteran. He's the guy with the stuff. Uh, just he has to get healthy and, and help his team. John, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. I'm sorry I won't be there with you on your on your trips to Camelback Mountain and Roman's Oasis. <laughs> well, I'm going to be back. I'm, I'm back in about a week, and then we'll have to hook up and, uh, and uh, discuss things in person and, <laughs> and solve the problems of the world. I love it. All right, John. Thanks a lot, man. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Okay. A big thanks to John Fay for providing some insight into this Reds team on the eve of their first spring training game. It's not easy trying to figure out the roster in February, but I think John did a great job of giving you fans a few items for you to keep your eye on as spring training moves forward. For more John Fay, follow him on Twitter at John Fayman and read his stuff online at WCPO.com. A very special thanks to my main man, Nick Prince, the best technical director in the world of podcasting. Without Nick, this podcast would not exist. That's all from BOR headquarters. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jamie Ramsey. Expect good news. And go Reds!